Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, we're going we're gonna to look at Genesis 11 this week at the um, ill-fated Tower of Babel. Um, and mostly we're just going to be hopping around Genesis. Um, so Genesis 11.1 1 reads, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth." I'm just going to say what maybe some of us are thinking, and I think I thought um, as a child or when I heard this story, like, sounds like, oh man, they're all, isn't this what we want? Isn't this what we want today? Like unity, everyone working together, right? He says like, wow, nothing, if they, if they continue like this, nothing is impossible for them. And we think, well, that sounds like a good thing, right? Working together, maybe if we all spoke the same language, working together, then there wouldn't be war, Right? And, and we think, man, that's, that's awesome. They're, and all they're trying to do is build a really tall tower. They're trying to build a skyscraper, a beautiful, beautiful building, right? Why is God so upset? And, and I just want to point out, it's not what they're doing. It's their reasons and their intentions for doing it. In verse 2, it said, As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And we talked about this earlier in Genesis. We talked about the term eastward and what it means in the Bible when it says they moved east. Now, if we look back at Genesis 3, 23, and you don't have to turn there, but just in case you're taking notes, detailed notes of everything I say. Um, it says in verse 23, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It says God placed an angel at the east gate, meaning they left the Garden of Eden, the place they were in closeness with God, out of the east gate, heading east. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. They're moving further and further away from the only place they knew to be a place of intimate encounter with God, where they, where they walked with God, where man walked with God. And in Jewish texts, when they say headed east, it always infers heading away from God. If you see in the Bible they headed east, most of the time it's, it, they're not really talking about direction. They're talking about as they moved further and further away from God. And they settled in the plain of Shinar, which is in present-day Iraq. Um, I don't know if I had a graphic for that. Um, it's a city called Iraq in the country of Middle East. I'm just kidding. Um, and they settled in the plain of Shinar, um, right there. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. And I'm glad I put that up. It really opens it up. Um, 
And many scholars believe that the type of structure that they built was a ziggurat. And this uh, pic is of Edamanonki, right? Um, it's not an actual picture. It's a drawing, just in case you can't pick that up. But, um, but this is a ziggurat. This particular ziggurat is called Edamanonki, and it's located in the city of Babylon, where some believe that the city, uh, the Tower of Babel was built. Um, and there's a few things that are interesting about this particular ziggurat. King Nebuchadnezzar claimed to have built this around 600 BC, but there's evidence to suggest that it was built much earlier. And actually, in Nebuchadnezzar's own words, in an inscription, it reads this. The tower, the eternal house, which I founded and built, I have completed its magnificence with silver, gold, other metals, stone, enameled bricks, fir, and pine. The first, which is the house of the earth's base, the most ancient monument of Babylon, I built and finished it. I've highly exalted its head with bricks covered with copper. We say for the other, that is, this edifice, the house of the seven lights of the earth, the most ancient monument of Borsipa. A former king built it, they reckon 42 ages, but he did not complete its head. Since a remote time, people had abandoned it without order expressing their words. Since that time, the earthquake and the thunder had dispersed the sun-dried clay. The bricks of the casing had been built, and the earth of the interior, or the bricks of the casing had been split, and the earth of the interior had been scattered in heaps. Merodach, remember this, Merodach. Merodach, the great god, excited my mind to repair this building. I did not change the site, nor did I take away the foundation. In a fortunate month and an auspicious day, I undertook to build porticos around the crude brick masses and the casing of burnt bricks. I adapted the circuits. I put the inscription of my name in the katir of the portico. I set my hand to finish it and to exalt its head as it had been done in ancient days. So I exalted its summit. This is an inscription there where he says, I didn't build this from scratch. We found this foundation where a king long ago set out to build it, but he didn't finish it because people had abandoned it without order expressing their words. That's very interesting. And then he says also, Merodach, the great god, excited his mind to build it. So this suggests it had been there unfinished since an ancient time, and only its base had been, been built. And one of the things that people find interesting, and we might think, oh, this is like a stylistic thing, but if you look at the base, the, the two bottom st structures, they're a lot bigger. And it seems like it was going to be a lot taller and a lot bigger, right? And, and we kind of say, oh, this is what they meant to do, and this is like the style of things. But in all actuality, it actually looks like it was meant to be a lot bigger, and then whoever finished it was like, and three little more, right? And so this kind of leads us to think that maybe this, they were building on top of the remains of the Tower of Babel. So who was this former king in ancient ages who built this tower? Well, let's go back to chapter 10 in Genesis. We looked at this last week in verse 8. They mention a man. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna, and Shinar. From that land, listen to this, he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. So this, um, let's look at this Nimrod real quick. This is a 
this is Nimrod. There's like figures, and there's like drawings of him, and they all look the same. Um, and so he's a Kushite, which is a present-day Ethiopian. And there are actually many Assyrian tablets that, that mention him, and they also mention him as a mighty hunter, the same exact, exact description of him in the Bible. But the Assyrian tablets further explain what it means when it says a mighty hunter. It doesn't mean he's great at like bringing down deer. It's he's a mighty hunter of men. He's a great warrior. When it says he's a, he's a mighty hunter, it means he's a great warrior. He's a conqueror. Like Even like um, you know, secular scholars believe that this man was the first conqueror. He was the first conqueror. He built the first empire. And these cities, when it says he built Nineveh, and he built, like, I don't think he, like, went and he was, like, a builder. I think he conquered these places, and then they built on top of what they found. And he also built Nineveh, which we know from the story of Jonah that Nineveh was a very evil city. And in Assyria, he's known as Asher. They talk about Asher, A-S-H-U-R, and they're talking about the same person, um, and this first city that the, is the city of Babel. Um, and it's a huge city f for its time. People thought it was one square mile, but now estimates are five square miles uh, actually within its walls. And people believe that it's the first city that actually had walls, which leads scholars to believe that Nimrod was like one of the first men of warfare, right? Because why do you need walls? To decorate, to put things on, right? To change up, to make your house feel new. Now, um, walls, it's like a defensive structure. And like he could, he could go out and attack little villages, take things, and go back and hide behind their walls. And I mean, you could just slowly conquer everyone who didn't have walls. Um, so Nimrod, we're going to get into, I know I'm talking history, but this is like ugh, a lot of names, a lot of details. But Nimrod okay, married someone na named Semiramis. And after he died, his wife declared him to be God declared him to be God. And further, as the earthly wife of God, she's the queen of heaven, right? That's a pretty cool trick. You're like, he's God, that makes me the queen of heaven, so you're going to listen to me. So they, but they actually became um, the basis for a lot of future false religions. Those religions in the Bible we, we read called mystery Babylon religions. They have their starting point in Nimrod. Both Nimrod and Semiramis have appeared in other cultures by different names. Semiramis, as the mother of all mothers, was like the fertility goddess. In Egypt, her name was Isis. In India, Indrani. In Asia, Sibyl. And later in Israel, she'll, she'll be called Ashtaroth, which if you've ever read um, certain parts, they always talk about God says, take away the high places and remove the Ashtaroth poles. Remove the Ashtaroth poles. That comes from this, this, this goddess Ashtaroth. Um, Nimrod, his god image became known as Baal and is the godman Ninus who built Nineveh. And later Nimrod would also be known as Marduk and then Moloch and Merodach. And actually, if you look at pictures of like um, one of them, I think it's Marduk or Merodach, it's like the same exact picture that you see of Nimrod. It's like a sideways like banner, but he has a fishtail, right? Because the most manly, godly thing is mermen, right? <laughs> I think every man, when they were young, like, I want nothing more than to be a merman, right? You look, you're watching Justice League, and you're like, man, I want to be Aquaman. Now, now everybody wants to be Aquaman. All the ladies are like, yes, be Aquaman. But for us growing up, it was like, what does he do? Call dolphins? He's like hopping through the water. He's like, okay, okay. And you're like, what a lame person. Um, 
But so Nimrod later becomes known as Marduk, Moloch, and Merodach. And we also, and we see this spring up in Israel, this God, and it actually leads to like human sacrifices. Um, and God is not happy. But if you notice, when he says, it says, Nebuchadnezzar says, Merodach, the great God, excited my mind to repair the building. It's almost like he's saying, Nimrod excited my mind to repair what he had once built. And this city of Babel, um, actually, it took on a new meaning after this event where we call it Babel, but it was actually Babel, which means city of God. They called it uh, the gate of heaven um, the, or the foundation of heaven. And so Nebuchadnezzar, when he says, Merodach excited my mind to repair this building, this is who he's talking about. And this temple, Edemanonki, is a temple, is actually a temple of Marduk. And Edemanonki means the house of the foundation of heaven and earth. Okay? So Nimrod and the people of Babel set out to build this tower. And so far, it's like, all right, he was a conqueror. He's a, he's a builder. He's like an empire builder. Like, I still don't see really why God is so upset. But in verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So three things they state. They say, one, Let's make a tower that reaches to the heavens. They want to make a name for themselves so that they won't be scattered over the whole earth. Now we're going to look at this third point first. Why would they be scattered over all the earth if they want to be together? Like it's like, oh, unless you build this tower, you're going to be scattered. You need this tower. But let's look at why they might have said this. In Genesis 1.28, and you don't have to turn there. You can just mark it in your detailed notes. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. In the very beginning, God said, my purpose for you is to fill the earth. And in some version, it actually says to scatter across the earth. He tells them, this is my intent for you. This is my plan for you. This is my instruction for you. I have made you, and this is what I want you to do. This is my plan. Scatter across the earth. And then in Genesis 9, 1, he reiterates what he's already said. In 9, 1 and 9, 7, he says, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So after the flood, he reiterates to Noah, Fill the earth. And then again in verse 7, he says, be, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. He continuously tells them, This is my plan. This is what I have for you. I want you to scatter across the earth. This is my desire. Spread across the earth. So the people were united, but they're united against God. They're united against God, right? That's like, that's like kids planning to murder their parents, and, and, and the parents are like, I'm just so happy to see them working together, you know? Like, I'm just so happy that they hate someone together. And it just so happens that person's me, right? Up to this point, they hadn't scattered, 
they basically, they were, up to this point, they were ignoring what God said. But as we all know, if you ignore what God says long enough, there comes a point where you have to, there's like a choosing point. You either turn and listen or you have to move into defiance. And they've gone from ignoring God into defying God. Said, okay, he's told us to sing. We haven't done it. We haven't done it now. Now we're going to do something about it. We are going to, we are going to stop this. This is a full-on rebellion. And this is why they want the tower to reach the heavens. And building this tower, it's like, so we don't have to do what God says. We don't have to follow God's will. His will is not going to be done. And the only way we can stop him is by overthrowing him. And we're going to show everyone around us the power and authority that we have. Right? And then people around us will fear us because we overthrew God and we stopped his plan. And we made a name for ourselves. We are the ones with power. We are the ones with authority. And they think God has told us to scatter and fill the earth. But surely, surely together, working together, united as a group, we can do something that we could have never accomplished on our own. We could have never accomplished this on our own. But if we work together, maybe we can do this. And that's shown in their statement when they say, come, let us. Come, let us. Don't you know, sometimes like you would never do something on your own, but you get enough people who want to do the same thing, whether it's good or bad, and, and you, you begin to believe that you can do it. Begin to think, all right, well, I wanted to defy mom, but I wasn't going to. But now that all of my siblings are with me, what's she going to do? Right? Lastly, they want to make a name for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. How important are names to us? How important are names? It seems like it's a natural desire for mankind to make a name for ourselves, right? It's the whole drive to be popular. It's the whole drive to be a celebrity. It's the whole drive to be famous is we want people to know our names. And we often think that, man, after I, it's a kind of immortality. I want people to think I'm important. I want people to bow before me. I want people to know who I am. I want to be known and remembered. I want to live on in the minds of people and in their memories. And even those who like of us who never reach that goal or maybe we don't want to be a celebrity, we still want our, our name to be remembered. We want to be treated like we're important. We, we want people to remember who we are. And it's evident in every cemetery any, any cemetery you go through, you see an inscription like this person who was, who was brother to this person, father to this person, who did these things and who did that, right? We leave that inscription so people can remember who they are, right? We want to be known. We want to be remembered. But is that really what God made us for? Did he say, fill the earth and make a name for yourselves, Right? I want people to know who you are. I want people to know what you're eating every second of the day. I want people to see one-minute videos of you telling people how to put makeup on when you put makeup on. I want, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing that. I'm just joking around. Um, but like, that's kind of like, is it really important? And in many ways, we kind of build our own towers of Babel. We want to be higher than everyone else. We want to be looked up to. We want to elevate ourselves. And this is what these people were doing. They were physically trying to elevate themselves above God, to make their name greater than God's name. They were only concerned with themselves, with their own purposes and their own plans, even when those plans are, are in direct opposition to God's plan. They wanted the power and authority. We're going to decide what's right for us. 
We're going to decide what truth is. We don't need you or your words to tell us what to do or how to live or who we are or what's right or what's wrong. We will decide for ourselves. And if you think about it, in many ways, we have the same exact attitude towards God. We, we might not think that we're in defiance, but we're like, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me what is truth and what is lies. Don't tell me anything. I'm going to decide what is right for me. I have my own truth. And in verse 4, when they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Come, let us. So the Lord kind of has his own well, come let us, come let us go down. He always says like, like he's physically moving, like come let us go down and see what they're doing. You know, he's always like, let's go take a look, right? It's like, you know what, he knows what's happening. It's like when like, you know, as a parent, you know, you know when the kids are up to no good and you know what they're doing and you're just like, let's go see what's happening. And it's not like, let me find out. I'm not, I don't even know what's happening. You're just like, let me go do something about this. And so he confuses their language. And actually, paleolinguists who researched the history of human language believe that all languages came from one. They believe all languages came from one. And they aren't sure which one or where it happened, but they're studying it. And they're going to find out where it happened one day. They'll figure it out. They'll use their brains. Okay? So in verse 7, God says, Let us confuse their language so they do not understand each other. So they don't understand each other. But the literal interpretation is let us confuse their language so they stop listening to each other. So they will stop listening to each other. It's not about communication. It's not about let, let, I, let, let's make it so they can't understand each other. It's like let's make it so they will stop listening to each other because when they're only listening to each other, it's coming to no good. They're listening to each other instead of me and it's come into defiance of God. And so God scatters them. He scatters them. He says, you're not going to listen to each other anymore. You're going to listen to me because guess what? My will will be done. My will will be accomplished. You can ignore me. You can defy me. You can do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you something. One day, the promises I've made, the things I've said are going to come to pass. And, and so often the things we do, we're like, I'm running from God. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living my own life. And then you turn around and where God gets you in turns, he's like, do you see how I used every little thing that happened to you to actually make my plan happen? And you're like, ah, yes, you did. You did. You used everything I did and you actually made it for your glory. And that's the thing. God invites us to be a part of what he's doing. He invites us. He, he's given us the same order, right? To scatter across the earth. Spread the word. He's got a plan. He says he has a plan for each one of our lives, right? We're, we're supposed to pray, your will be done. That's supposed to be our prayer. Jesus says, pray this way. And in it, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. And, and God invites us. His will will be done. It's going to be done. And we can take part or we don't have to take a part. And God says, you can do what I told you or I can do what I told you because it will happen. And so God, birthed, we'll see this, he birthed the nation of people to revere his name, to put his name above all other names, 
to listen to his voice, to obey his laws, to follow his ways, because that's the only way the earth can truly be the way he made it to be. We say, on earth as it is in heaven. And we sing songs and act like, man, I want it to be like it is in heaven. And God says, then do my will. Do what I've told you to do. And God creates a nation of people to bless the entire world. A people who, well, sometimes they don't, but who are supposed to do what he says, to follow his will. And guys, this goes to us too. We don't often, I mean, we read the city of this, this story of the city of Babylon, we think like, man, these people are just defying God. Like, these people are awful. These people are like sinners. These people are like, we can't even understand who they are because of their attitude. It's so foreign to us. But when we examine our hearts, so often we might be in the place where we're ignoring God. And some of us might be in the place where we're actually defying God. And honestly, a lot of times it's about things that aren't really that important. Often it's about things that we just can't let go of. Often it's about things that we love so much. We love so much and we just can't trust him to do it. We just can't trust him to do it. And he says, just listen, I want to do this. I need you to let go of it. And you're like, but, but, but I'm going to help you with it. But I've got, a, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. So often God is the plan B. God is the plan B. I've got, I'm going to have the perfect thing to say to that person. I'm going to do these things. And we are so unwilling to let go of it and let go and let God. I just coined that phrase, copyright. That's mine. If you ever hear anyone say that, that was from me. Let go and let God. Right? We just hold on to it. We hold on to it. And we're so unwilling to let go of it. And so many of these things come back every time. They come back the same thing. We're like, I gave it to God. And then we find as we go along, we're like, I didn't really fully give it to God. I snatched it back. So often we give things to God and we're like, I'm going to give that to you, Lord. I'm just praying for my child that they will know Jesus. I'm just praying for this thing. And then after a week, we're like, well, I gave you a week. I gave you a week. And now I'm taking it back. And I'm going to start acting towards it. And God says, listen, let me do it. All I need you to do is follow me. All I need you to do is listen to me. And I'll admit, guys, there's things we care about so much that it's hard. There's things we want in our lives so much that it's hard to say, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you with what's happening now. Things are bad. It looks like it's the exact opposite of what I've been praying. I'm just going to trust you. How often do we trust God like that, just blindly? Say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of it. And I know that everyone in this room, it's so funny, the way the Holy Spirit works, the minute I start talking about the thing that we cannot let go of, and I don't mean give up on, I mean stop worrying about. I mean, I mean, listening to God and what he says. We may want this thing, and God says, but I don't have that for you. And you're like, but that's what will bring me joy. That's what will bring me peace. That is my end goal. And God, says, and God could, could be like, well, yeah, that, that will eventually. Or he could be like, but that's not where you're going to find peace. That's not where you're going to find joy. You're going to find it in me, and I have something different. I promise you it's better if you will just listen to me and let go. I'm going to invite the band up. And if you would feel the lights, we're going to 
This is where we're going to use the papers. And I, I, I've done this myself. I've, I've so often I'm like, all right, God, I've given this thing up to you. And I think sometimes I just want to make like a physical representation of what we're saying, of what we're doing. And on that slip of paper, I want you to write. And we're, gonna, we're just going to worship. You can worship if you've, if you've got something to write you and do your thing. You can do it and then worship. But like, I want you to sit and actually think, or don't think, sit there and pray and listen to God. And that thing that he put on your heart, like, this is what I want you to give me. This is what I want you to let go of. This is what I want you to trust me with. This is the plan I have for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to write that thing. I want you to write that thing on that paper. And I want you to come up, and I want you to put it in this beautiful vase. And it's just like I don't have like an altar or anything, but this, this is representative. Like I'm giving it over to God. I'm turning it over to God. And, and what I'm going to do is um, after I'm going to try to, I'm going to read them and I'm going to try to figure out who wrote them and I'm going to judge you for it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to throw them away. I'm not even going to read it because it's not, it's not about me. It's about you and God. And I want you to take that thing and signify I'm turning this over. I'm giving this to you. I'm bringing it to you. I'm laying it in here and I'm letting go of it. It's out of my hands. It was on that paper and now it's out of my hands. And now I, I'm just giving it to you and I'm letting it go. And I understand that, some, man, sometimes that's hard. I understand it's hard. I understand it's a continuous battle. And so if you need prayer, if you need help, like, man, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if I can give this over to God yet. Then there's people in every corner of the room, in every corner of the room that you can pray with. And there's some in the back this time, because I realize not everyone wants to go up to the front and get some prayer. So, so there are people in the back uh, standing there that, are, that, are, that will pray with you. Um, and, and anything you tell them is confidential. They don't tell me. Because I want to move forward. I want God's will to be done. And I want God's will to be done in the life of his church. But to do that, we have to individually say, I want God's will to be done in my life. I want God's will to be done in my life. And I'm willing to turn it over. And maybe sometimes we're like, I know what you've told me to do, and I just haven't done it because it's hard. I know you've asked me to be, but I can't be it because it's hard. But it's time to take that first step. It's time to take that step. And even if you're like, man, even, even if you're like, I, I, I can't give this up yet, I still want you to come up and lay it in here. To be like, God, help me turn this over. Help me turn this over. And again, if you need prayer, people are in every corner. I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to, to pray and hear from God. And, and give it over. Let go. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.